All right. Um, we spoke, or we sang today, you are the God of this city. You are the king of these people. You are the Lord of this nation. Okay? When we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, we're looking at the very first declaration made by Jesus Christ about his kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, at hand, right? Okay? So then he went up on the mountain. Now, he had done some healing. He had talked. But this, and, and you have to understand the principle in studying the word of God, is that when something is first declared, it is the thing to which you go back and compare all other teachings, all other ideas, okay? So he is basically declaring his mandate for his kingdom. I thought about it, you know, in political parties, when a um, politician declares that he's running for an office, particularly like president, okay, he has a platform, right? And his platform declares, this is what my administration is going to accomplish. This is the intention of my administration. This is the purpose of my administration. This is the plan. Now, I'll give you the details how we're going to accomplish that as we go along in the campaign. But his platform, when he declares it, this is Jesus Christ's platform. Okay? Now, I'm going to read you a long passage. His platform goes about three chapters. I'm not going to read three chapters, but I'm going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 20. Okay, so the Beatitudes is what we call them, and Beatitude just means blessed, okay, is the very first part of that. And then there's a couple of sections that I'm adding because it all goes together. It's like that's still part of the platform that he's declaring. Then he starts talking about how that platform is going to apply to certain sections like murder and, you know, all these other things that, that are in the kingdom, laws, all right? So, now when Jesus saw the crowds, I'm, I'm reading it for my paper because I printed it really big so I could see it. He went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears... Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I want to tell you that this is not a discussion about law. This is a discussion about promise. That's what a platform is. A platform in a political arena is not a discussion about how we're going to beat everybody up with the law. It's about how we can make the promises of a nation make your life right and good. Okay? Now, everyone understands in natural circumstances that we have laws and we have to obey the laws. Most of the laws are not difficult to obey. Now, I like to speed. You know me, I have a need for speed. My husband will affirm that fact. And I don't like to obey the law. Now, it's not hard to obey the law. I even, fortunately for me, have a car that has a setting that allows me to set it so that I can obey the law without really even thinking about it. And that's a good thing, because that's the only way that I can obey that law, because <laughs> I really have a lead foot, okay? So if I take my foot off of the gas, the car just helps me obey the law, all right? So that's how laws are in the kingdom. God gives us a governor who lives inside of us that allows us, if we will keep our foot off the gas pedal to obey the laws, right? It's only when we involve our own foot on the gas pedal that we actually have to break that law, all right? So don't think about this as a discussion of laws. Think about this as a discussion of promises. See, we have a president who made lots of promises and he's having a very difficult time um, making those promises happen, you know? because there's lots and lots of pressure out there. You know, and I, this is not a political discussion. I'm just saying the fact that, you know, if you're a politician in this world, you make lots of promises, and if you can make good on half of those, you are like a famous politician, right? Is that true? But the deal is God can make good on every promise because he has all the power. He is not an elected official. He is a king, and you 
choose to enter into his kingdom and submit yourself under his authorities. Right? Okay. I got to keep track. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. All right. So first one, this, this is a word study. I'm not really trying to preach to you today to convince you of something. I want to drill down into the word of God and tell you, when you think about the word of God that we have today, you know, 2,000 plus years after it was written, all right, it was probably preached in Hebrew, written in Greek, and translated into English, Old English, and then passed down generation to generation into a language that is now not the same English that they even translated it into. So when we look at the Word of God, we have to understand that, you know, we need to really study into the meaning of those words. Look back into the Greek and look back into the Hebrew meanings of words so that we understand what was really being taught originally. All right. So there's two levels in this to understand. There is the natural surface level that applies to life. And there is a deeper internal level that applies to life in this platform of God's kingdom. All right? So there is, it's progressive and it's a recurring process. So we are going deeper and deeper and deeper. We can go through this process and absorb some of the promises of this kingdom. And then all of a sudden we'll find that God's bringing us back to one of the platforms, one of the levels, and he's saying there's more in this. So it's recurrent and it's progressive. Make sense? All right. All right, so... Um, I'm going to read Psalms 51, and I'll read two or three scriptures or give references to them, and I'm not going to give you enough time to go to them because I don't have enough time to give you to get there. So Psalms 51, 10 and 12 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That is the same connection. What you give unto God, you will receive. Okay? It's almost the seed and harvest idea. If you, one of them that we'll talk about is... If, if you give mercy, you'll receive mercy. So think about that. As we go through this, if there's an area in here that you're thinking, I need that, then look at what is the activating factor that will bring you into a deeper level of what you want to receive. Make sense? If you, want, if you need money and you are in great need, the best thing you can do is give. That's, that's the honest truth. The, the thing that's the, that you need the most, if you need more time, the best thing you can do is give 
time sacrificially to somebody. Because God then will multiply it. If you give God a seed, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. If you, you know, we had two, maybe three burlap bags of seed that would go in the planter and it would go out in the field and it would plant. And when we harvested and the wheat was threshed, there would be stacks and stacks and stacks of bags from those few seeds. That's God's multiplication. And that's what he'll give you. And it's not just money. It's everything in life. What you invest in God, you will get back. That was all free. Okay. So the first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the word blessed is, um, and I'm not even going to give you the Greek words. You know, I won't spell them for you, and I can't say them. It means fully satisfied. It is an internal satisfaction that shows in an external manifestation. All right? It does not mean happy. And if you have a translation that says happy, happy is an English word that comes from good circumstances. So you can be blessed in the very worst of circumstances. Blessed associates with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the best description you can get. So you can live in joy unspeakable and full of glory regardless of circumstances. Okay, privileged recipient of divine favor. That's what the Greek lexicon says. You are a privileged recipient of divine favor favor. He's working on your behalf in a circumstance. So you are blessed if you are poor of spirit. Poor of spirit. Now, there's two Greek words for poor. One is the poor man who can still go get a job at McDonald's and Flip Burgers and and help himself, even though he lives in poor circumstances, he still has an ability to help himself get out of those circumstances. All right? That's not this poor. You have no ability at all to change your life. You are helpless without any ability to change your circumstance. That's what poor in spirit. So when we think about this, we are coming to God. We are coming into his kingdom. The very first thing that you have to recognize is you are poor beyond any ability to fix yourself, your life, or change any circumstance. Right? That's why you're coming to the kingdom, because you can't make it in the kingdom that you're living in, and you know it. And you're, there's a better life somewhere. I'm going to immigrate. I'm going to go find the land where life is good. So you are poor of spirit. If you can recognize that, the entrance, that, that is the entrance exam into the kingdom. So theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, right? Those that first recognize I cannot do it by myself any longer. I have no ability to make life work. All right? Okay. So, 
Psalms 51, uh, 177, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And Isaiah 57, 15, I live in a high and holy place. This is God speaking. And also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So even though God is in the highest position in the kingdom, he comes down to the very lowest who recognizes their broken circumstance. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is the domain of the king, right? It is where the king rules. That means he can rule in every aspect of your natural life, and he rules in spiritual realms, right? So it's, it's a dichotomy of both positions. Every place that the believer has yielded to the king, he takes up residence, and he makes that his domain. When he makes it his domain, he starts reforming the land. When he comes in, any area in your life that needs work, that is desolate, that is um, covered with weeds. I will tell you, when we went to Israel, the weirdest thing, you can look out over this land and you see this demarcation line. And there's like trees and green and it's beautiful. And then there's literally a straight line and desolation beyond it. And we're driving along, and someone in the bus said, why, why is that? And he said, that's the Jordan border. When they came into the land of Israel, it all looked like that. When they started to immigrate into that land in about 1900, because they came before the, the land actually became their nation. People would buy property, and they intentionally reforested that whole nation. And the nation is beautiful. We went into Jordan. Jordan is desolation. And, and it's like, that's what God does. If you look out over your domain where you're living and you see this area over here who, that looks like desolation, that's because it's not his domain yet. You are still reigning over that domain. So if you give up that domain, he will start to reforce that. He will reclaim that land in your life. Make sense? Okay. All right, so... The kingdom belongs to God, and you, you, you sign over your territory that you think you own to him, and he will start his rebuilding program. So blessed are those. So that's the very first thing you come into the kingdom. The next step is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To, to mourn involves the recognition of death. Now there's two Greek words for mourning, and one is to be mourning over circumstances, okay? To be sad about your condition. 
The other is to mourn over death. This one is mourning over death. Why is that? Because that's what it takes for you to come into the kingdom. You have to die to live again, right? So those who are willing to mourn over their own death yield it to God. We know in John it says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Same principle. Okay, so you have to mourn over your death. You have to be willing to yield not just regret for my circumstances, but regret enough of who I am that I am willing to let God put his stake in my natural heart and become a spiritual man and bury that old man, not dig him up every day or two, right? Any seed that is dug up will not produce fruit. That seed's got to stay in the ground. Okay. Blessed are the meek. Oh, so for they will be comforted, okay? Comforted, the word here is paraclete. You recognize that word, paraclete? That is the Greek word for the comforter. So when you die, the comforter comes in to live in your life. And the comforter gives you comfort, and the comforter has the authority and power to rebuild your land, to renew your land. Okay, so blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you know, when I've read this lots of times, I'm thinking, you know, I don't really want the earth. You know, I, I want to inherit heaven. Why doesn't it say, you know, that they will get heaven? Because they already got heaven. The very first one was, you will get the kingdom of God. That's heaven as well as this earth, all right? So what he's saying is, blessed are the meek, the submitted, the teachable, those with an inwrought grace of soul. Now, Aristotle, who is probably the most famous Greek philosopher, so he worked in the Greek language, and the language was his tool, right? He describes it as the ability to be angry at the right time, at, with the right reason, in the right measure. So it's not weak. It is the righteous anger of God. That's what meekness is all about. You look at Moses, and it describes Moses as the meekest of all men. And yet, he was at times angry. And he was not weak in any manner. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to come in. That's a promise that we can be powerful and yet teachable and submitted unto him. So it first is directed to God, but through that, our meekness shows to other people too. Because we don't have an agenda. Because it's not our plan. It is we will be righteously angry at the right time, in the right measure, for the right reasons, okay? So, the meek inherit the earth, all right? When your meekness has been tested, the earth and all the fullness thereof 
become yours. God supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory. Everything here works to your benefit, works to your good, because you are no longer advancing your own agenda, because you are always teachable and you're always submitted to God. Isn't that cool? So if you need something in the earth, if you need people and things to cooperate with you to produce a plan of God, go back to my meekness to you, God, and how is my meekness to you being shown into the world? Because people work with people they like. People work with people that they respect. People want to advance you when they feel valued, appreciated, you know, not opposed, right? Meekness works. It works. It's not always easy to obtain, but it works when you can get it, when you can get there. Okay. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, remember, this is progressive. So when you come into the kingdom, this is the first first line that God brings you through. He brings you into repentance. He brings you into recognizing that you can't do it. Then he brings you into that meekness, that, that submission to his plan and his will, seeking him, knowing what he wants you to do. And then hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. So we look at hunger. Hunger is bread. All right? It's, it's food. Chew, chew, chew. Bread is the word. So you need to be hungry, searching, chewing on the word of God. All right? Now, these verbs are active, continual, and recurrent. Okay? Like in Greek, there's all these different verb tenses, and some of them future, and some of them are past, and some of them are current, active. Okay, so they, this one is active, continual and recurrent okay so you are actively now and continuing to be chewing on the word of God and you are thirsting okay thirsting is for the living water so that's spirit so if you have word and spirit seeking righteousness all right so righteousness has a double meaning there is the right standing with God Okay, so we know that by his righteousness, we are made righteous. We have right standing with God, right? The second meaning is that you recognize his rights in your life. He owns you. He has a right to call upon you for his plans, his purpose. He has a right to meddle in your life, okay? So we are hungering and thirsting not only for his righteousness to live well, to live righteously, but for him to impose his rights on your life, to call you into his service, to call you into his plan, to call you up when you're not living righteously. All right? Okay. All right, so... We, if we are seeking those things, will be filled, satisfied, 
sustained to seek again. It is, again, that continual, we are filled. You know, why do we eat? We eat, and then we eat again. We don't just eat once for our natural lives, right? Same thing in the spiritual. We have to eat, and that sustaining food enables us to operate, and then we have to eat again. It's cyclical. Make sense? Okay. All right. Blessed are the merciful. So here we're, the next thing that we're required is to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful is compassionate. First aware of others, and then moved to action. If we don't move to action, we are not merciful. All right? We have to look and see the condition and the needs of others and then move to supply that need, to do the things, acts of kindness. Um, the, 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 the Jewish people, I can't, I can't remember now the word, but I heard it three or four or five times when I was in Israel. And, and they actually have a word that defines acts of kindness, acts of righteousness. And when we went to the museum, the Holocaust Museum, they have a forest planted to honor every Gentile for their act of righteousness because they saved the Jews. You know, and they, and, and they even, uh, the guide that we had said his father-in-law, when he came, he, he married a, a Jewish girl. He's from New York, you know, a New York Christian. But he married, oh, oh, I'm running out of time. Um, he married a, a, a Jewish girl over there. And when he met his father-in-law, he said, so what do you do? And he said, I plant trees. And he thought, well, you know, I mean, he's a gardener. That's, you know, in, in America, that would not be anything to be known for. And then he said, I wasn't there very long when I said to somebody, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to marry so-and-so's daughter. And he was famous. He was famous because uh, replanting Jerusalem was an act of righteousness. And he was known by many, many, many people because he was a man employed in acts of righteousness. Isn't that cool? Okay. So... Ah, uh, did I, we're, so we're doing merciful, right? So they receive mercy. So we can, it's take it to the bank. If you live with acts of righteousness, if you live with acts of mercy, when you need one, God will send somebody to provide one for you. Absolutely. If you do not live in a life of righteousness and acts of mercy, how can you expect that God then will come to your supply? You know? 
if, if, you, if you work according to the platform of God's kingdom, you can make a demand on heaven and say, Lord, I need mercy. And he'll give you mercy. You know, the story of the, of the uh, landholder who, you know, the man owed a lot of money to him. And he showed him mercy. He went out and did not show mercy to the one who owed so much less to him. He lost that mercy. But if he had been merciful, you know, God was first merciful to him. And God, that would have remained merciful to him. Okay? All right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart are those who have been filtered. Do you know how we get pure water? We get pure water by a filtering system or an RO system, as most of us, you know, where, where it distills, and all of the impurities are filtered out. That's what it's talking about when it says the pure of heart. The, the impurities have been filtered out of our heart. Another, uh, the Greek word means winnowed, all right? So you are the wheat that's winnowed, and the chaff is blown away till you're pure, that you're only that. You are pure in heart. Your motives, your opinions, and your agendas have been removed. So you're not blinded by your own ideas or own needs or own opinions. When you're not blinded, you can see God. Now, the, the cool thing, this, this is the thing that impressed me the most when I, when I studied this out. This Greek word means to see God in a vision or an apparition. Okay? Do you know the scripture that came to my mind and heart? Was Jesus said, I do only the things I see my father do. Same word. See, as in a vision, I can see God when my own heart is purified. All the agenda, all my own plans, all my best ideas have been removed. I can see what God is doing and do that thing. That was cool to me. Okay, so that's John 5, 19 and 20 is that scripture about Jesus seeing what the Father is doing. All right, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. This is actually peace bringers, okay? Because we can't make peace. We don't have the wherewithal to make peace. But God has peace, and we can carry peace into a situation. When we carry peace into a situation, it becomes an atmosphere. Okay, when I was in Israel, the atmosphere Though all, it's like there's a shield over this nation. And only what God allows to come in can come in. Because there's an atmosphere of the city of peace. Jerusalem is called the city of peace. That, does, that makes no sense in the natural. In the natural, it is the city of, you know, 
conflict because there's always somebody trying to make conflict in Jerusalem. But there's an atmosphere of peace because God imposes an atmosphere of peace. Okay? Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? So if the Holy Spirit lives in you, that atmosphere of peace lives in you, and you can be the carrier of it into work. In, that's right. Into situations in your family and conflicts, you can be the peace bringer. All right. Am I, am I, are you going to cut me off here? <laughs> okay. So, um, so the promise is they will be called the children of God. And do you know how many people will, will recognize that you are different and they will call you the child of God because you, you bring peace? Because you have peace when nobody else has peace in a circumstance. You can come in and somehow you can bring the atmosphere of heaven in and change a situation. Okay, and the last one, the one we least want to hear, is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Back to the kingdom of heaven. Only by now we have processed through the first level and we have a deeper revelation, a deeper grasp on the kingdom of heaven in our life. We are, persecution is not personal. If you feel like persecution is personal, it's your issue. Because persecution is never personal. Persecution comes because of an issue within the one who wants to persecute you. Because of pressure from the enemy who works in their life and conviction from the spirit that says to them, I don't have what that person has. Now, if I can, if I, and, and they don't, this isn't a thought out process. It's an in unconscious process. They will believe that if I can push them to react, then I'm no longer convicted. They're just like me. That's why persecution comes. So when persecution comes, you have to understand that this is God working in their life. This, praise God, why can you rejoice? Rejoice. Think about that word. Re. What does re mean? The prefix re. R-E. Do it again. Rejoicing, the whole purpose of rejoicing is to bring alive again the joy that is within you. So you bring out that joy and you look at that joy and you say, what a privilege I have. I have joy. I have the spirit I have all of these great things. You could have it too, but hey, I've got it. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to shake it up, and I'm going to be happy. I don't care that you persecuted me. I don't. Paul said, I don't care that I am in prison. 
And prison wasn't easy. You know, their prisons were dark and dirty and miserable. And he was literally chained to Roman soldiers. Not, not a happy deal. But he could rejoice. Paul and Silas could sing in midnight. They were rejoicing. They were stirring up their joy. And when they did, it activated in the spirit a plan to release them, right? So when we are persecuted, rejoice. Get your joy out. Stir it up and realize this isn't about me. This is no condemnation on me. This is evidence that God is working on somebody else, right? Okay, so the last thing I want to tell you is the story about Jim Caviezel. Is that how you say his name? He, the, the, the man who portrayed Jesus in the Passion of the Christ, okay? So when Mel Gibson came to him, and ask him if he would play Jesus. Mel Gibson, now I wouldn't have thought this of Mel Gibson, but Mel Gibson said to him, now I want you to know that this is really going to cost you. If you are willing to do this, you will be persecuted in the film industry. And Jim Caviezel said, Jesus is, he said, this is going to really be controversial. And, and Jim said, Jesus is as controversial now as he's ever been. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. I have no regrets. He preached afterwards, and, and he did. He was very persecuted, and it took a long time for him to get any other role. Okay? And to this day, if you watch him, he's a great actor, but he doesn't have a lot of opportunity. Okay? But he says, and he still preaches today, and he says, I have no regrets. We have to give up our names, our reputations, and our lives to speak the truth. Okay? That's what we're doing when persecution comes. If we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, they really don't have a cause. Now, if there's a cause, it's God allowing something to be worked out in our life. And that happens. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. But when you are truly persecuted for righteousness' sake, great, great, great is your eternal reward, and great is the benefit in your life. And the process will start all over again. So we are called to be salt. That's preservative and flavor, right? And we're called to be light because light draws other people into the kingdom, okay? All right, so Jesus said the law will be fulfilled and the law is fulfilled in us when the spirit operates in our life when the spirit is our governor and we keep our foot off the pedal.